This is Every Hornets Box Score, the podcast. The only podcast that dares to explore every single Charlotte Hornets game, past, present, and future. I'm Doug Branson. I will be your host, your guide, your Sherpa, as we honeycomb our way through every era of Hornets hoops. I've been covering the team since 2013. I'm one half of the team that puts on Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets, but I've been a fan of the team a long time. Uh, I got my first miniature television when I was about nine years old, and I put it on a bookshelf in my room, which I shared with my little brother, and uh, him and I would watch Charlotte Hornets games on Waxen 64. I remember watching Anthony Goldwire find Glenn Rice for three. So many good memories and the first team that I really fell in love with. But I'm sure people uh, listening right now, maybe you, maybe you've been following the team even longer than I have because I was born uh, just a few short years before this team ever got to Charlotte. So there were plenty of years that I missed out on. And that's the cool thing about this show. We are going back to the past to find out a little bit more information about some of these teams and the games that they played. But let me start by answering a few questions that you might have. Number one, How will this podcast work? Well, each episode, I'm going to bring on some of my friends and special guests to discuss a randomly selected Hornets box score. That's right. It's random. I'm not picking games that have any that they may have historical significance. They may not. I don't know. Uh, But they're going to be completely random. But just so that we have some variety, I've also broken the total number of games into five distinct eras of Charlotte professional basketball. First is the early Hornets era that takes us up through about 95-96. Then the late Hornets era that takes us through their final years in 2001 and 2002. And then we have the Bobcats. Yes, I'm going to get to that in a minute. That's kind of the second question. We're going to do the Bobcats. Then we're going to do the death of the Bobcats, which takes us into uh, or through the first, the second Hornets playoff run in 2016, uh, the second version of the Hornets playoff run in 2016, and then everything after that I've grouped together. Uh, and so each episode, I'm going to take one of those eras and pull a game out, just so we have a little bit of variety as these episodes continue. So the second question, as I said, you're doing the Bobcats. Yes, I'm doing the Bobcats. Why? Because it's part of the official NBA history of the franchise. We don't have to forgive it, but we can't forget about it. We've got to include it, or at least I feel like I have to include it. Because, you know, honestly, like some of our darkest hours are where we tend to find some of our fondest memories. I'm going to enjoy pulling out the Bobcats uh, names that I remember and some that I don't honestly, because I'll be honest with you when the Charlotte Hornets left Charlotte for the first time as a kid, it broke my heart. I remember I cried. I'll admit it. I cried when they left Charlotte and moved to new Orleans and it really uh, left a sour taste in my mouth about professional basketball. It was right around the time I was kind of gra- I was about to graduate high school and go into college and I really forgot about professional basketball for a while. Uh, and it was during the late Hor- the late Bobcats run that I started to pick back up on the franchise again. And then I covered the team for the last two years of Bobcats basketball before uh, they became the Charlotte Hornets again. So this will be a cool way for me to go back and learn a little bit more about those early Bobcats teams. Third question, are you going to only talk about the Hornets? 
Well, it's going to be the bulk of the conversation, obviously, but I'm leaving open room for all kinds of experimentation for this podcast. There's going to be room and freedom on this podcast that for good reasons we don't have on Locked on Hornets. Those reasons having to do with the fact that we produce a, a podcast daily. The podcasts are 30 minutes so that people can consume them easily. And it's all about newsworthy content of the day. That's Locked on Hornets. That has its purpose. This podcast yeah, we're going to talk a lot about the box score. We're going to talk a lot about the Hornets, but I'm also leaving it open uh, for some other conversation as well. And the final question, are you really going to explore every single box score? And the answer is yes. I mean, that's the idea, at least. It's going to take some time since Charlotte has played 2,619 and counting regular and postseason basketball games. And for the future games, I'm going to be doing game notes on all of the regular, the regular season and, you know, God willing, postseason Hornets basketball that uh, we that we will encounter in this upcoming 2022-2023 season. And that's why I need your support. I have a substack called Every Hornets Box Score. You may be listening to the podcast on that right now, or maybe you're listening on your favorite podcast platform. But if you visit everyhornetsboxscore.com, you can sign up for the newsletter, which gets delivered to your email whenever I do game notes or special articles. That's going to be free through summer league and the preseason this year. And then the game notes and the special articles and things like that, that I'm going to be doing over the course of this next regular season, that all goes behind the paywall. The podcast that you're listening to right now will continue to be free. I have no plans of putting that behind the paywall, but if you want to support the show, subscribe for free. And if you like what you're seeing, then consider supporting this show with a paid subscription. You can sign up for the year and save, uh, save 10 bucks on two months free, essentially, or uh, you can sign up monthly. So those are the ways that you can support the show. I got to shout out people that have already decided to sign up and support the work that I'm doing here. Very first subs, G Matt and Briar, who jumped on with us monthly for only five bucks, only five bucks a month. Come on. I mean, that's crazy. Keith and BF Beck subscribed for the entire year. They got two months free. Thank you so much for showing your support early on in this process. It really means, it not only means a lot like emotionally, like, hey, you're supporting me. You're saying that my work is valuable. That's super cool. But also the money that you're providing goes in to buying services. Like, for example, this episode that you're going to hear, I delve into a lot of the Observer, Charlotte Observer archives to get some information for the show. I had to pay money to get access to those archives. So you're helping directly to support the show. Okay. With that, let's get into it. Let's select the very first box score and introduce our very first guest of the podcast. It couldn't be anyone else except my partner in Locked On Hornets Crime. I have a feeling he's going to be a guest many times on this show because like me, he really enjoys diving into these old games. Mr. Walker Mail. What's up, buddy? Launching it, baby. I'm ready to look <laughs> back into Hornets history. It's going to be so much fun. Hornetsboxscore.com, which we've teased quite a bit on Lockdown Hornets. If you haven't visited yet, I don't know what's wrong with you because you get to catch us in a different type of platform. So it's great for everybody. Some of this will be very illuminating for you, Walker, because there is a portion of Hornets history that occurred before you ever existed. I, mean, I didn't even exciting. know that happened. You're saying yeah. I was after the Hornets? Doesn't that's right. You right. are. Yeah, you were after the Hornets. And I, I mean, there there is a portion 
of a Hornets history that I don't recall either because I was in I was in diapers. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't following Kelly Trapuca. Uh I was I was trapuking all over myself. <laughs> <laughs> Is that still happening though? You're telling I mean that probably was happening five years ago. Uh only when I only when I mix uh beer and scotch. Uh that's the only time that happens still. All right, don't let's talk about the uh what we're doing here, which is selecting the very first uh the very first box score. Now, Walker, when I had the idea for this podcast, I knew I was going to have to build a machine. A machine that could hold the power of all of the Hornets drama, all of its history, its greatness, its coliseums, that time that Gerald Henderson hit that lady in the head with a ball. Uh, it was a mach- it's a machine that would have to rival in power that of the very famous Locked On Hornets hot take machine. I knew I was yeah. going to have to do this. And I'm I'm happy to announce that I have done it. I have built a machine that can randomly select from the utter chaos that is the Charlotte Hornets history. One box score to discuss each episode. Uh, in fact, it needed even more power than the hot take machine, Walker. Don't believe, believe it. that. No, well, I don't. I don't believe, believe it. it. You're you're telling me, am I going to get to see it in action? The power yeah. that runs it? Well, okay. I, well, well, not the power that runs it, but you're going to get to see it in action because I'm going to pull the lever and get us a box score to discuss in this episode. Now, I did, after a lot of thought, consideration, I did give it a name. I've named this machine. It's not the hot take machine. It's a new machine. Are you ready for the name? Yeah, very intrigued. I call it the box score encounters in Tropic Selector, or for short, the bees machine. <laughs> I was. Can trying you to get feel the, the power? I was trying to get to the abbreviation before you said it, but then I, you lost me by the second e. So I like it. The bees machine. I'm not going to be able. To, basically, what I heard you say was equivalent to when you described the scientific name to James Book Knight's fifth digit. That's the mm-hmm. I. They're both the same to the me. Pinky finger. But the bees machine is good. I'm ready for that. The box score encounters in Tropic Selector. Or for short, the bees machine. My my one question, real quickly, if you don't mind, is it Stangen? Oh, it's. I mean, it's uh, it's powered by the force of Stangen. In fact, I mean <laughs> that's what it runs on. It runs on May the constant. Same be with you. I you know I just fed. In fact, to get it ready for the show, I just fed it Kai Jones highlights from Game Three of Summer League, uh, which oh, will be a burst. Yeah, well, that comment's going to be very interesting to people who view this in the future. They're going to be like, what 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 does that mean? Um, so, hey, go check out uh, some early posts from the uh, Every Hornets Box Score Substack, which is part of this whole deal. Okay, are you ready to select the very first box score? At random, yeah. by the way. We don't know what this is going to be. It's going to be a totally random box score. Are you ready? Totally ready. Let's do it. All right. Pulling the lever. The lights are flickering. <laughs> it's, you're playing music. <laughs> now I built the lever out of a guitar hand. You're so crafty. Okay. Building machines well, and guitar levers. Well, Great see, stuff. the Hornets, the thing is, Walker, what you have to understand is the Hornets don't make the playoffs very often. I think people watching or listening to this podcast understand that. So I have a mm-hmm. lot of extra time on my hands. And so in the offseason, I do uh, just get very crafty. Okay. I got to go downstairs to get the. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, that's fine. My my only question is, while you're downstairs, I don't know if you can hear me over the speakers, is that instead of a lever, if it's made from a guitar, couldn't you call it a Jimmy? And then you could pull the Jimmy, Jimi Hendrix, 
And then that would take give us the takes and give us the games from the machine. I like it. All right, pull the Jimmy. All right. Yeah. That's what it's got. That's what I'm going to do Boom. from now on. Pulling the Jimmy. Pulling the Jimmy on the bees machine. <laughs> All right. I have it. Uh, I've got the printout here. I can, sh- if you're watching this on YouTube, I can show it to you. The printout. Actually, let me go solo, dolo. Here we go. Here's the selection April 22nd, 1990. Oh, look at this, Walker. The, the bees machine also printed a message for us can you can you read that message yeah sure thing april it gives us the date april Uh 22nd 1990 the handwriting look it's ai it's still trying to figure out the handwriting and how to better Uh, this handwriting the the handwriting of the machine looks fine don't worry no it looks like it needs some work but no big deal it's very early in its stages so the message says congrats on the podcast exclamation point thank you thank you bees machine the world definitely needed another podcast Okay, so so you're saying what it lacks in handwriting, it makes up for in sarcasm, is what you're telling me. I, uh, yeah, I mean AI. I mean, does the A stand for asshole or what? Like, I mean, come on, machine. <laughs> like, I, I just, I gave you, I gave you life, machine, and all you can do is tell me that the world definitely needed another podcast. Well, there you go, there you go. April twenty second, nineteen ninety. That is going to be the box score that we explore next on the podcast. We do have to take a quick break. I thought, uh, Walker, for this, you and I could put our hands in the middle and do the like little and break. You want to do it? Put your hand. <laughs> yes. Put your hand in. I'm trying. No, the, the other way. way. Here okay. we go. And break. Before we get into today's box score, I just want to quickly shout out everyone Uh, that was supporting us on our previous Patreon page that I've now moved over to Substack. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support if you are watching or listening to this episode. It meant the world. I already sent you a message. I've given you a free one-year subscription to the new Substack, but I also wanted to shout you out on this show because you made this show and this Substack possible. This is a reader, listener, viewer-supported endeavor. Visit every Hornets box score com to learn more about how you can support what we're doing over here. And I just want to say that I am going to leave this podcast uh, in front of the paywall. You don't have to pay for it. And I'm not going to put ads on this. So the support that you do give via everyhornetsboxscore.com will go to keeping ads off this show. No digitally inserted ads, uh, no live reads, no anything like that. Uh, just me coming on occasionally not every episode but occasionally and uh, begging for your support so i'm done with that let's go from begging to box score here we go and we are back here on every hornet's box score and we have transported back into time into the year 1990 april 22nd 1990 to be exact the charlotte hornets versus the dallas mavericks this was a loss 118 to 107 to drop the charlotte hornets to 19 and 63 on the season and in fact walker this was the very last game of the 1989-1990 campaign very weird one to land on the first game is actually the end-all be-all for the 1990 season and interesting things to look at. I got a couple of segments coming up. I'm excited about that. I know you have way more information than I do, but I, I, what the topics that I did research on, I have a lot of research for that topic or for those topics. So very excited to get into some of this stuff. 
Yeah, let's, well, I think first, and, and this is all, by the way, this podcast right mm-hmm. now is is very experimental. We're going to be talking about this game. We're going to be talking about the season that was for the Charlotte Hornets in 1989, 1990. We're going to be talking about some random things, but I think it feels right first to really just live into the live in this box score for just mm-hmm. a few moments. Let's take people, especially if you are on the audio medium. I feel I feel uh, it's necessary to take you through some of the numbers here. So again, it was a loss, one eighteen to one oh seven. Uh, it looks like a really tough second quarter for the Charlotte Hornets. They lost that quarter twenty seven to nineteen. That, that may have been most of the difference in this game, as the second half was pretty close. I love to look at the uh, pace here in these in this early Hornets era. I'm sure it's all going to be around this number, 92.1. I mean, what a what a slow pace. That would be, I mean, that would be the slowest pace now, right? Like, I mean, it, it doesn't get much slower than that. It, you're right. At the same time, pretty high scoring game for 1990. I mean, 118 points. That feels like 140 in today's game in a 35 and 37 point quarter. For each of them, that's that's high today. You score 35 and 37. It's true. Both teams uh, had effective, higher effective field goal percentages, 56% for the Hornets who lost. The Hornets lost this game with a 56% effective field goal percentage to Dallas's 53.9. So they they shot, I mean, they shot the ball better seemingly. Let's see, the Hornets finished at 50, nearly 55% from the field and the Mavericks finished at yeah 53%. So, uh I look it appears this one was one at the free throw line. Uh yep, the Hornets missed a lot of free throws, 13 of 21 from the field. All right, let's talk about some of these players though. So, in the starting lineup in the last game of the 1990 season for the Charlotte Hornets, you have Armin Gilliam, J.R. Reed, Kelly Trapuka, Randolph Keys. That's an interesting name. It's not one that I recall when you're talking about just sort of Hornets in general, Randolph Keys. I, I will. I want to talk more about him in a second. I, I looked up a few fun facts on Randolph Keys. Yeah, the only reason I knew this name initially, it's because I'm in the process. Well, I've already moved, and in that process, I have become uh, hypnotized by all the basketball cards that I have and all the books. I found a Randolph Keys card. Had no clue who he was, and now have only known him for like four days before I started reporting, uh, recording this podcast. Now, here's a name you will recognize starting at point guard, Muggsy Bogues. Got 25 minutes in this game. Your reserves for the Charlotte Hornets, Robert Reed, Kenny Gaddison, the Gap Man, the G-Man, Michael Williams, Richard Anderson, Michael Holton, and Ralph Lewis. <laughs> those those last three specifically, those names are absolutely your next-door neighbor that you've known forever. They're family friends. They don't play basketball. Well, um, you know, I kind of feel that way. So Mark Williams, who is uh, one of the newer Hornets, I've I've been oh, yeah. saying that that his name is is very much yeah, the 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 boy next door. Like we don't uh, you know, it, it doesn't scream the next superstar of the NBA. Um, but there were a lot of Michael Williamses and Michael Holtons and Ralph Lewis's and Richard Anderson, uh yeah, the type names in the in the nineties. So it's a return, Mark Williams. All right, so what are some of the things that get your eye first? Like the thing for me, how about seven assists for my guy Michael Williams in 14 minutes? Pretty solid there. It's efficient. There's Um, no doubt about it. Only two points, though. Yeah. um, Yeah, so seven assists for Michael Williams in 14 minutes. Also, eight assists for Muggs, classic Muggs. Um, And Armin Gilliam, 10 of 15, really efficient. Like 
This was the guy that I had talked about before, possibly being the most underrated Hornet of all time. Whoa. And yeah, like huge claim, you know, Armin Gilliam, you know, so like I, I, I did my research to ask that question or to answer that question, whether Armin Gilliam truly was the most underrated Hornet of all time. Do you want to get to that later or did we want to do that here while looking at the box score or did you want to look at some other things first? Well, this is a free flowing conversation, okay. so I feel like we just got to go where it feels okay. right to go. And I think it's always going to feel right to hang out with Armin Gilliam. I don't know the answer and I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it on this episode, but it's a question we should explore in a future episode that's really important to understand about this show. We're going to do every single Hornets box score. So the point of this episode is not to explore mm -hmm. everything about the 1990 uh, Charlotte Hornets because we're going to be coming back here another 81 times. <laughs> so we've got so. we've got plenty of things to answer. But one of the questions I have about Armin Gilliam, because I noticed this in the write-up that Rick Bennell did, the, the game recap that I looked up in the Charlotte Observer mm -hmm. archives for this game, he spelled it A R. M O N. And I thought, yeah. and I'd always seen it M E N. And I thought, well, it's really weird for, uh, you know, Rick to, to get that detail wrong. Uh, and then I went to this basketball reference page and he was born Ar Armon, A R M O N, but at some point changed it to A R M E N. Why mm -hmm. the O to E switch? It's so odd. No, that's actually something I did not get in my lookup of Armin Gilliam to answer if he was the most underrated Hornet of all time and the journey for him to come over to the Hornets. So first off, you see right there, born Armon, A-R-M-O-N Gilliam. Below that are two nicknames that are extremely self-explanatory. Mm -hmm. One is the hammer because this dude was 6'9", 230 and just pure beefcake down low. Yeah, I, second, I think I think I think that nickname was given to him. I believe if I looked this up correctly, by a college coach after after the coach saw his biceps. Yeah. Called him the dude. hammer. Yeah. Armin Gilliam, monster of a guy. Um, also, the black hole. Pretty self-explanatory there, too. You look that up, called the black hole, because once you dished it to Armin down on the low block, you weren't getting it back. <laughs> he was either going to put that shot up and make a field goal, or you were going to have to crash the glass to go get that offensive rebound. So Doug, this is the last this is the last game of the 1990 season and Armin Gilliam really only played this year with the Charlotte Hornets. I mean he he only played he was only on the roster for like 13 months. And so do we you want to go down that journey with me real quickly? Let's do it. All right. Tell me about Armin. So here here's his journey to get here. Armin Gilliam was traded to Charlotte in exchange for Kurt Rambis pretty mm -hmm. famous Hornet, the goggles, two second round picks. 13 months later, he was traded to the 76ers along with another Hornet. Do you know who that Hornet was? I don't. Dave Hoppin, friend oh, of the show. Hoopin! Oh, Armin and Hoopin Armand going out. Gilliam traded with Dave Hoppin to the Philadelphia 76ers in exchange for Mike Jeminski, whom oh, I know well. Have Broadcasting done quite a few legend. Yep, broadcasting legend. I've done quite a few shows with him. Great guy. So pretty crazy to see him come over. Now, going back to when he was traded for the Hornets, I wanted to look up as to why Phoenix would be giving up a dude that was capable of scoring 20 points. Those two parties did not like each other. Phoenix, Armin, 
Cotton Fitzsimmons, the head coach of Phoenix, not necessarily great friends. And thanks to Sam Smith of the Chicago Tribune in a piece written in 1989, was able to get a little info on this. Here's the, a quote from Cotton Fitzsimmons. I became convinced last year that Mark West, Tom Chambers, and Armin Gilliam could not play together and be successful. But I wanted to Ouch. see if I was wrong. So when the expansion draft came around, the Suns gave up hardworking forward Tyrone Corbin, now assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets. And they said, in oh, retrospect, that was a mistake. We should have got rid of Armin Gilliam. <laughs> a flat out quote from Cotton Fitzsimmons. We should have kept Tyrone Corbin in the expansion draft and instead gotten rid of Armin Gilliam. So they trade him. They weren't happy. And so that's how he became a Charlotte Hornet, at least coming over. Um, it was a little more civil with Armin going to Philadelphia. Time is a flat circle, as we've discussed. The trade to Philly was uh, only because they felt like they needed a center. The Hornets needed a center, and the quote was, uh, like, the Hornets had desperately needed one for uh, quite a while now, and they felt like they needed to give up something good in exchange for Mike Jeminski. So Mike Jeminski comes over here. Armand Gilliam goes to Philadelphia. That allows J.R. Reed to play the power forward position, which is what Alan Bristow thought better suited the former first-round pick, the former Tar Heel. So there you go. That's how Armand Gilliam was able to come over to the Charlotte Hornets. But pretty crazy the journey there fourth all-time field goal percentage seventh and two-point field goal percentage but only played 85 games Doug and with a name like the black hole not too many assists you know the write-up on him was he could get a rebound when he wanted to but was pretty lax mm. I just felt like I couldn't give him the most underrated Hornet of all time award I felt like oh, wow. I got a so little you're pulling it I, I thought you did I'm give it to it. him and you're pulling it I did I did. I got froggy and then I had to pull it. There's another guy in mind, but we can get to that guy maybe later on when he comes up. In a okay, okay yeah, hold on to it. Reveal it to us at the end right. of the episode. You're If you stick with us for the entire episode, you will get Walker Mail's most underrated Hornet of all time. So that's, that's good. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk and zoom out a little bit on this 1990 Hornet season because I think it's really interesting. So this is the second season of the Charlotte Hornets existence. They were obviously not very good a after in the expansion year, as most teams are. I mean, they're, they're terrible in their expansion year. And then in the follow-up season, certainly no one expected them to be very good, but they, they actually got a little bit worse in the second season. And according to the, the write-ups that I found on this in the Charlotte observer, um, this was a, a little bit of a, a, a bad end to a bad season, a drama-filled season. So they fired the inaugural coach, Dick Harder, 40 games into the season after an 8-32 start. What was start. his name? Dick Harder. There's nothing okay. funny about that name. His name was Richard Harter. Okay. Dick but, Harter. But, but they called him Dick Harder? They called him Dick Harter. Okay. 8-32 start, and he uh, was fired, interestingly, on a road trip. And there's a great, I don't have it here, but there's a great write-up from Tom Sorensen who like flew on uh, the private jet of then-owner George Shin to get this article because they flew the jet. They, they hopped on the bird. Uh, George Shin said, Carl Shear, the general manager at the time, come on, we're going to go down and fire our head coach while he's in <laughs> San Antonio. But here's the thing. So they get on the jet, right? Then they call Dick Harder. And who had the, the axe was looming over Dick 
for many weeks, if you go back and look into the archives. This guy knew he was getting fired. They call him up and they say, Dickie, we're coming down to fire you. <laughs> Essentially, George Chen called him up and was like, hey, we're gonna let we're gonna get you out of this situation. And they said, We want to meet with you. And Dick said, Don't worry about it. I'm good. We don't need to meet. I'm yeah. out of here. <laughs> oh, I'm glad he had some sense. It's you're you're trying to be classy as an organization by doing it in face to face, but you kind of lose it as soon as you say, Hey, we're gonna come down and fire you real quick. Is that all right? You got time? Yeah, hey, hey, we're hopping on the bird, the little private jet that George Shin had because George Shin was filthy rich. Uh, we're getting on the bird. Now, it's interesting. In, in the article, Tom Sorensen said that he offered to pay for his seat, uh, his pay for his own way on the flight and um, asked George Shin how much that seat was going to cost. And I think he told him it costs like $5,000 or something, just being a total, yeah. just being a total like uh, D bag about it. Um, but the in the I thought this was interesting. I found this quote in his last practice. Dick Harder said, "Quote: He's just telling his players this. Quote: I think I'll be here tonight, but I'm not sure. If I'm not, <laughs> thanks to those guys who have been loyal to me, insinuating that there were people that were not loyal to Dick Harder. Um, so this was a drama filled season. This was. It's important, I think, for people who are listening to this episode now in the wake." of this offseason that we've just been through with the Charlotte Hornets where they hired a coach and and Kenny Atkinson and then Kenny Atkinson said, uh, actually forget about it. I'm going to still be the assistant uh, with the Golden State Warriors. Then they go back and they rehire somebody that they had hired and fired already in Steve Clifford. So a lot of stuff has been happening around the Hornets in the offseason. It is important to remember that still this is not the most dysfunctional the Hornets have ever been. They were certainly way more dysfunctional in the early going. And then I think one could argue they were dysfunctional right at the end of their first run before they left for New Orleans. Sure. Yeah, there's plenty of dysfunction within the Charlotte Hornets lore that we'll get to consider we're going to be breaking down every 82 game season on every Hornets box score. Yeah, it's hilarious too. just another thing I thought of as you were going through that the drama playing out very publicly. I talked about how it was well known, apparently, that Armin Gilliam, Cotton Fitzsimmons didn't get along both of these. Well, at least Cotton Fitzsimmons was putting out a quote against Armin Gilliam, right? They did not bite their tongue. They allowed all this information to come out. And it's funny because you think about today's day and age with social media running rampant, Instagram, Twitter, the Facebook, all of that stuff. You would think, well, that information is getting out there tons more. But we have these puppets like Woj and Shams who are able to put out all this information. So you get it from a different party. It doesn't mean that it's not accurate. You just get it from a different party. So it's wild to see this come publicly from the source instead of Woj or Shams breaking it or Chris Haynes every once in a while. Like it's funny. Social media does not actually mean that all of these opinions are more frequent. You're actually, mm. you just have better access to it. It was actually, it might have been more frequent back in the day. <laughs> you just have better access to those. Like you had to read the Chicago Tribune to get that Fitzsimmons quote on Armin Gilliam. Now you got to scroll your Twitter timeline. And if you scroll long enough, that quote is going to slap you in the face. Hilarious to see. Well, it's interesting that you say that because in researching for this game, I found that a lot, that there were a lot of quotes from coaches to to the reporters here, the, in this instance being Rick Bennell, but also to Sorensen and others, there was a level of access to the Hornets organization 
that doesn't exist right now. And a level a level of 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 candid quotes that doesn't exist right now. And I would argue probably doesn't exist around the league because as the league has matured, these operations have gotten so much better about buttoning down everything. Um, but when you have a midseason firing, it's really tough to do that. The Hornets have been, uh, I'd say, more strategic lately about firing coaches in the offseason when people aren't paying attention as much. That's why you don't you don't have a quote out there from James Borrego, you know, uh, to to the local reporter saying, well, you know, they didn't know what they were doing or anything like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but it's interesting you bring that up because all right, so they fired Dick Carter, right, and they they elevate this new coach, Gene Littles. Who did they fire? Dick Carter and okay. they go with Gene Littles who was absolutely not fooling around. I found this quote um, about losing Rex Chapman for the year, their draft pick, their very first draft pick. He was uh, one of their leading scorers. They lost him in March to injury and Hornets coach Gene Little um, said that the injury was unfortunate, but far from a tragedy. Here's the quote. It's just an injury. It's not like we've made a run for the playoffs said Littles. Basically it's a setback for him. Now he loses the last five weeks of the season. In general, Gene Littles, um, who passed away recently, 2012, uh, Armand Gilliam also passed yeah, away did. in 2011. So uh, we've we've lost some recent Hornets legends. Um, but Gene Littles wasn't fooling around. This was like a hard nosed dude, and uh, he didn't stick around very long either. Though in the right uh, the write up that I have on the screen right now, you can see this name pop up: Alan Bristow, who was appointed a- after this game was appointed the Charlotte Hornets vice president of basketball operations. Um, he would eventually take over for Gene Littles as head coach after the next season. Um, but on on that point, because I'm also looking at this write up and it says the Charlotte Hornets will finish with the fourth worst record in the NBA, meaning they can choose no worse than seventh in the NBA draft. Well, Walker, I know you weren't born yet, but 1991, I'm sure you know what happened in that NBA draft for the Charlotte Hornets. They didn't draft seventh. They didn't draft fourth. Nope. They drafted numero uno. They got lucky. They found the ping pong, the magic ping pong ball, and they ended up getting the first selection, which they used on Larry Johnson. But here, back to my point about candid conversation, head coach Gene Littles at the time, uh, as the season was wrapping up, was advocating not for Larry Johnson, was advocating for bringing in a physical big like Derek Coleman or Alonzo Mourning, if he came out, which he didn't. It would be a year later. Um, but Gene Littles telling reporters as a head coach who he wants to see the team drafting, that, like, you just, I don't hear that a lot anymore. Well, you don't hear it from the coach, right? right. Because we went through this already when Steve Clifford very publicly wanted to go after Donovan Mitchell. That was known publicly, I should say. But Steve didn't come out and say it to anybody or put a tweet or say it to Rick Bennell on the record. That didn't happen. But we all know Steve Clifford wanted Donovan Mitchell instead of Malik Monk. And so this is just history repeating itself in a very different way. Gene Little's wanting somebody different. Thank goodness they went with Larry Johnson. Derek Coleman would become a later kind of... I don't know about hated Hornet, but not a lot of people liked Derek Coleman during his time here with the Hornets. Yeah, hilarious. These guys were outspoken, and that it just didn't matter. Every it's not you could get your source from the source. The public could. You, the fan, crazy.
UNLV. Big time for UNLV. Larry Johnson from UNLV. He goes number one overall in the 1991 NBA draft. We just mentioned Armin Gilliam. He was a UNLV grad. Stacey Ogman in this same draft and Greg Anthony go uh, in the So I guess 12. Coleman wouldn't have come out here because he was, I mean, he was a high pick. So neither of those guys came out. Right. Neither of those guys came out. So he was, you know, Gene, Gene didn't get his wish on either of those names, thankfully. Um, because, well, they would get, they would get Derek, they would get both of those names later, interestingly enough, that he mentions yeah. that. Um, any, I'm, I'm scrolling through, scrolling, I'm scrolling through the 1991 well, NBA draft. Any interesting things come up here in the. Well, the thing I'll say is they got the number one overall pick in a draft where you desperately wanted that number one overall pick. Like mm-hmm. Larry Johnson was clearly going to be the guy. It was tier one. It's LJ. He's at the mountaintop. You're talking about Zeus. And then you have to go down a whole tier to talk about any other player. You know, Kenny Anderson was awesome at GT. He won LJ. Dikembe Mutombo would become one of the best defensive centers of all time. Rick Fox at at 24. That's a steal. Rick Fox at 24. Yeah, that was very good. Um, But yeah, like you just you you got the number one overall pick uh, with Larry Johnson at a time where it was borderline Anthony Davis. You know, Anthony Davis is going to be the number one overall pick, and then it was everybody else. That was the same thing with LJ. I just can't believe that Bobby Fills was drafted in 1991. It just crazy. That that doesn't seem that doesn't seem right to me. It feels like he was just so much younger than than that. Um, but Bobby Fills was selected by Milwaukee with the 45th pick. That's really Chris the only... a good. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go no. What what were you saying? Well, I was going to say Chris Corciani, a state favorite. So get, getting drafted, played for the Shout Celtics out. too, I believe, a little bit. Just a fun name. Corciani. Mm-hmm. It's like the last accent I think you can do and not get in trouble. Is right. Uh, yeah, you better hope so. <laughs> I, I, I just did it. So um, yeah. Randy Brown I, was on those last dance Bulls teams drafted in 1990 by Sacramento. So they selected 28th as well, and they got Kevin Lynch out of Minnesota. Um, but I don't see anyone here in the second round of this 1991 NFL NBA draft that I think they passed up on. So pretty, pretty terrible draft to be perfectly honest. You had, you had some like Smitty being drafted. He was an all-star, you know, you had Stacy Ogman, who was LJ's running mate along with Greg Anthony, Dale Davis, like Terrell Brandon was awesome. Love me some Terrell Brandon. So, but, but once you get past that, yeah, it, it, it does seem a little weak. Okay, so here's uh, you ready for something interesting? Uh, we've had a lot. I mean, w- let me just say this. Let me just say this. If you continue to watch this show, mm-hmm. which I hope you do, continue to support the show, you like us are going to have a PhD in Hornets history because we are going to go everywhere, anywhere, and everywhere, and give you these interesting Hornets nuggets that we'll probably have to repeat. We have to do this another twenty six hundred times. We're going to repeat some of this stuff. But here's an interesting fact that I found digging around the Observer archives, which has been just absolute gold for this kind of information. Um, props to to Rick Bennell, who who uh, we lost. Um, uh, what is it? It's been more than a year now. It's been a little more than a year. Yeah, yeah. It was a year um, in, in in early June. Yeah, devastating loss for the Charlotte Hornets community. Um, but he. Uh, gives us a gift uh, of all of the writing and reporting that he has done over over the many years that we get to explore. So he will be uh, he was a big part of both of our journeys through this um, process, and and he'll continue to be a big part of this show. So in reading um, some of uh, Rick's reporting, uh, he mentions that 
the in talking about this upcoming draft that the salary cap that season, uh, 1991, was expected to rise five million dollars. Okay, to guess what, eleven million dollars. Apparently, there was a big. I mean, that's all. That's just under doubling. Yeah, and it was Crazy. because a big NBC. NBA on NBC, you remember that? Bam, bam, oh, bam, yeah. bam, 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 bam. Best, okay, they the just ever. Mm-hmm. right. They just signed that big TV deal, and big TV deals tend to balloon the cap. Okay, and so it goes to eleven million dollars. The cap this season, as we the the upcoming 2022-23 season, is set to be one hundred and twenty-three million dollars. Okay, that's crazy. <laughs> It is. Yeah, almost doubling to eleven million when that's like your mid-level exception now. <laughs> yeah. It well, no, it's it's okay. Well, so here's here's the more interesting fact is that the top rookie selected in the ninety one draft. So this this was written before it was going to be LJ, but it could have been anybody. It could have been Kenny Anderson, it could have been Dikembe Matumbo, it could have been Steve Smith. The top player in the draft that year was set to make two million dollars. Now the final contract that LJ signed in his first season was 1.95 million, but it was a six year, $20 million deal. Number one, you can't do six year deals with rookies anymore, Mm -hmm. but $2 million Walker represents 18% of a team's cap. If you compare that to this season, Mark Williams, he's making $4.5 million in his first year. So it's over double what, uh, what LJ made in his first season, but it represents only 3.5% of the cap. So if you're talking about the number one overall picks nowadays, they're making something like $12 million to that tune in that neighborhood. And you're, so that would be still, around 7% point, of the cap, your, not 18% point, of the cap. Well below, which the number one pick, that dude was supposed to suit up right then and there and be a baller. 18% of the cap. They were going to get paid handsomely. They were coming out of college off the rip demand in that respect, man. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, Larry Johnson, too. That, that, such a pivotal college player, one of the best college oh, yeah. basketball players of all time. It, I just keep going to that fact. It, it's a shame that we Larry didn't get Larry could do it all. If you didn't, if you haven't watched, Larry could literally do it all. He could dunk it. He could shoot it. He could pass it. Um, he could defend. He could block it. I mean, there just wasn't, before his back gave out, there was nothing on a basketball court that Larry Johnson was was incapable of accomplishing. He was truly one of the the the, the more special. You know, we, we throw the word unicorn around a lot, but I think Larry Johnson was absolutely one of those yeah. players where you go, wow, Crazy. that body type should not have that assist percentage, should not have that playmaking capability, should not have that dunking ability, that athleticism. Um, one more thing on the cap uh, that the the discrepancy between the rookies, what they made then relative to the cap and versus what they made now, that's not an accident. Essentially, like uh, organizations and veteran players got sick and tired of rookies coming in and making well above what like 10-year NBA veterans were getting because you had to invest so much money, so much of your cap into the rookie that, you know, the, the, the veterans got peanuts. Um, so they eventually fixed that and instituted 
a rookie scale. Now, some would argue, Walker, that that's unfair. The rookie scale is unfair, that you are depreciating the ability for young players to come in and make a lot of money. And others would argue that it's good for the league to have young players earn the next contract as opposed to coming in with a boatload of cash. What say you? Yeah, I would say that they earned it based off the talent they exhibited in college. And if somebody Ooh, wants yeah, you, fight they're allowed for the to workers. Pay. Absolutely. I, yeah. You know, the, the fact these veterans can get mad if they want to, but these are businesses. Franchises are businesses that get to invest however they deem fit. Now, I understand the NBA is also a business too, but the idea is that the owners in the NBA, George Shin, in this case, the owner of the Charlotte Hornets, if he wants to pay Larry Johnson a lot more so because, duh, you want to pay him more than the 10-year vet that has led you to a 19-win season, then, of course, you're going to pay him maybe 18% of the cap. You know, like, so this happened in the NFL. Sam Bradford, I think, was the last one to cash out big time. And before they came with the rookie scale contract, too, and you couldn't make a, a more than a certain amount. Yeah, I, I would say I would say the, the fact that the rookies don't get to choose where they want to go based off of a free market because the draft is in place and they can't ma- they can't make as much as you could like that. Those are two pretty hindering things. As far as a rookie coming in, you can argue, Oh, it's a privileged play in the NBA, man. It, no, it, it's, if, <laughs> if they're talented, it is. I will them- argue that it is a privilege. It's an honor to suit up for the national basketball association. And I do, I think you do have to earn it. I bet you're one of these guys that likes the <laughs> fact that the summer league is handing out championship rings. <laughs> It's, I CJ McCollum was laughing at that yesterday. <laughs> he was like, are you serious? They're giving away rings for summer league. Yeah. So anyways, that's I, yeah, that was, you knew how to ask that question and, and get to me, get a nerve. Well, yes. CJ McCollum was also, he mentioned, he mentioned the summer league rings thing. He mentioned pers- uh, participation trophies. Oh, yeah. um, he, he was, I think he, he was really card. auditioning to take over for JVG or Mark Jackson. I mean, I, right. I think he's ready to go right now. He doesn't need any more summer league training. He's ready to go into the broadcast booth right now for NBA on ESPN. He'll, he'll be very good at it. All right. We talked about some of the stars. Can I talk about some of the bench players in this box score before we wrap it up today? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, you're my, you're my guest. I, I would okay. love for you to talk more about Richard Anderson, Michael Holton, <laughs> and Ralph Lewis. Of course, because that's what you come here for, the the people that you've never heard of. So speaking of coming over, maybe you served me dinner, Doug. What I would not want to do is dine and dash. Instead, since we're talking about the bench, this is called the pine and dash segment. The reason it is dash. okay. the, the pine and dash segment. The reason I call it that is because, as we noted at the beginning of the podcast, this was the last game of the 1990 season, the 1989, 1990 season. Not only was it the last game for that season, it was the last ever game for a lot of these guys that were coming off of the bench. So Michael Holton done after this game career over and ended it with a 10 point performance. It was also the last game of Richard Anderson's career scored a bucket going out on top. Mr. Anderson. So not only was it Michael Holton's last game, not only was it Richard Anderson's last game, Ralph Lewis. Yep. Out of the NBA after that, he gone. Four points and gone. Robert Reed would only play three more games, all of them with Philly, and then he would be out of the league. So you're talking about three guys whose career was over, and then Robert Reed would play three games with Philly, and then it would be done. Michael Williams would actually also sign with Indiana as a free agent, have a pretty good career. Look at that stash on Robert Reed. Robert Reed had a great stash. Michael Williams 
came onto this team as a 10-day contract guy, would finish out the season with the Hornets, signed decent money at the time for Indiana, average 15, average 11, was a good player. Um, Gaddison would be the only one to establish himself as a Hornet going forward. On the other side, Anthony Jones, it was the last game of his career as well for the Dallas Mavericks. But how crazy is that? Like three guys, career done, really four guys if you count Robert Reed, and Kenny Gaddison was the only one to continue to be a Hornet that did anything. Michael Williams was a champion. He won the 89. That would have been with the Pistons, right? 89 yeah, Pistons? It would have been. Nice. Um, so he won a he, he was championship experience that was coming over to this young team. I'm sure that's that's what they valued there. Happy um, early birthday to Michael Williams. Oh, and what? if yep, yep. If if you if you wanted to, I mean, if he made an all defensive team, maybe you can't say it, but in the little stretch neighborhood, Michael Williams is like had had some success in the neighborhood. I don't think he I don't think he's quite there. And maybe. Yeah. Like he he wanted to turn in that neighborhood, but he probably kept driving. Uh, Randolph Keys. All right, I want to go back to Randolph Keys because I mentioned him up at the top of this. So he was drafted in the first round, 22nd pick overall by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he made his way from Cleveland to Charlotte in that 89-90 season. He would only play 44 games in the 90-91 season um, but and then go overseas. Um, <laughs> in the first Overseas Keys. Overseas Keys. You made the, we, we tried to do this. This is our second attempt at doing the show. <laughs> and I wanted to give you the space to make the Overseas Keys joke. Thank you. Uh, but he would make his way back and play Lakers. I did find this fact out of play for the Lakers. He was the last... Uh, player in a Lakers yep. uniform to wear the eight before Kobe Bean Bryant. There you go. Yeah. Ran it. Wait, Who was drafted some. by? I don't know if you know this, Walker. Kobe Bryant was not drafted by the LA Lakers. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Who was he drafted by? He was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets. And we're Little back. Little known fact. People don't know that. No, people don't. Another random fact from this 90, uh, 89, 90 season is that they signed, the Hornets signed a guy. Now, I'm pretty sure this guy's name was Terry Dozier, but I'm going to prefer to think that it was Terry Dozier. Got to put that, got to put that on it. So they had a Terry Rozier and a Terry Dozier. Uh, they also waived Kenny Gaddison early in the season and then signed him again in December and brought him back because uh, this team was riddled with injuries. The, yeah, look, I, I don't want to, you know, we're we're starting to we're starting to go to some things we'll probably talk about as the podcast goes on. But yeah, a beloved Hornet, Kenny Gaddison is it, the probably Gap Man. What one of the more cool beloved Hornets? Not a guy that you know had was this star but hornets fans definitely know that name who watched the 90s at all uh we really haven't paid attention to the dallas mavericks who were a playoff team and had if i scroll back up one of the sickest logos in nba history i have a hat i'm not going to go get it because i don't know where it is now but i <laughs> it's oh i know where it is it's out of this room i think it's in my bedroom but anyway dallas mavericks hat um that has this logo with the cowboy hat hanging on the m it's one of my favorite nba logos of all time and um, this team was playoff team, 47 wins on the season. This game, by the way, was actually a home and home. Uh, the Hornets, I uh, want to say they lost the. They yeah, did. They did 111 to 102. So they dropped <laughs> two straight to the Mavericks to end the season. You're welcome, Mavericks. Uh, they propelled them, but they didn't get far. They lost to the Portland Trail Blazers in three games, I want to say. 
Well, um, I would say go back to to Dallas. Just again, kind of shoot from the hip here. This would have been, oh, man. I you know it it can't be too long after they made that Mark Aguirre move, right? So they would bring in, I believe that that was the Adrian Dantley Mark Aguirre trade. You know, Pistons Mavericks swapping those guys. And then Aguirre goes and wins a championship. I don't know if Dantley might have been hurt or just sent somewhere. Um, but yeah, like that was, you know, Mark Aguirre was a, a, a great Dallas Maverick for a long time. We love players on this show who do it in the box score. That's right. The stats show up. They're not, they're, you know, maybe they do the dirty work. That's fine. They do the behind the scenes stuff, the stuff that you got to watch to see. That's fine. But because we can't go back and watch this game, we really love to see the things happen in the box score. And if I'm going to give out the do it in the box score award, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the Hornets, I mean, Kelly Trapuca dropped in 24, Armin Gilliam 22. But I think people too often get stuck on points when I when I ask them who did it in the box score. We grab it, to, you know, put it in the hoop. It's what the game is all about. I get it. Put it in the Dern hoop, as Roy Williams famously said. Uh, but I like players that do it all across the box score. And I've got to give it to my guy, uh, the, the Chicago Bulls legend, Bill Wennington, who had 14 points, eight rebounds, three assists, one steal, and two blocks on seven of 10 shooting off the bench, mind you. So he gets the bench wrench award and the do it in the box score award for me for this game. Yeah, Bill Wennington uh, putting together a pretty nice stat line. I did not know that was a part of his game. I always thought he was the guy on the bench with the goatee that just so happened to be a reserve for the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. But to learn that he was actually productive at one point, pretty cool. And to show you where the game has changed, one of four from three, the entire team. The Mavericks were one of four from three. The Hornets were two of four from three, two of those coming from Chapuke. Okay. Drop All right. La- one thing I am interested before we end too. Can you go back to Herb Williams? Herb. Herb Williams. Can you go Herb, to Herb? Herb Williams. Herb Williams. I think Herb, Herb Williams is uh, selling CBD at the corner store over here it, in. Uh, yeah, he is. I I I want to know if that was his only three ever made. Like if I if I'm not mistaken, I, well, I think we he can. Was a ex- big that's guy. what this podcast is all about: is exploring okay. these kinds of things. Herb. Herb. <laughs> Well, there now he's go. forever going to be anyone on this show now. <laughs> that's Herb. That's right. He's going to be known as Herb Williams. Yeah. So 6'10", back in the day, you know, I, I remembered him because wow, he was a Wow, hitting a three. Yeah. So, so it might be, if you want to go to his totals, you know, keep scrolling on this reference page. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling. It might, it might be the only three that Herb nope. Williams. Oh, okay. Nope. Had a couple. All right. Wow. I mean, he eight. took a lot for a guy. One of his eight. Yeah. Okay, so he he started in the league in 1981-82. He was 2 of 7 in his first year. In his 6th year, no, 5th year for the Pacers in 85-86, he was 1 of 12 uh from 3. So he wasn't prolific, but he took them. I mean, that's a lot for this era. 2 of 9 in that 89-90 season that we're talking about. So he hit one of his two threes against the Hornets. Um, I have a feeling this is going to look a lot like Mark Williams' career numbers from three. He was 8 of 84 <laughs> overall in his career, 0.095 percentage, 9.5% for those who like it like that. I do like it like uh, that. So he took him. He took him. Probably his coaches didn't love that he took him, but he took him. Yeah. 13 oh, points you, on you, they the were probably They were probably livid. You can't let 6'10 get down in there and bang Herb. I'm sure they were mad. All right, let me give you the starters for Dallas just so we uh, make sure we cover all the ground here. Roy Tarpley getting the start. Sam Perkins, UNC, 
legend. Roy Tarpley or Sam Perkins? Roy Tarpley. Roy Tarpley, sixth man of the year. That's the kind of factoid you get on this show. <laughs> Rolando Blackman had a storied career. 22 minutes, three of six from the field for eight points. Derek Harper and James Donaldson. Other interesting names, Steve Alford on the bench for the Dallas Mavericks, of course, uh, coached, uh, played at Indiana. Coached in Indiana? Did he get it? No, coached, coached at coached Iowa. At Iowa. Uh, I okay. actually attended two sessions of Steve Alford basketball camp. So when he coached at Iowa, and I would go up to Indiana to be with my dad and that side of the family in Indianapolis, he held it in Franklin, Indiana, and I would go there. And uh, yeah, so all the Iowa players would help us out, you know, to do the whole basketball camp thing. So yes, people angry as hell when Indiana passed on Steve Alford instead drafting Reggie Miller, which of course would be absolutely the right decision. Wow. A very short NBA career. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, 87 to 91 for Alford before he went on to go and coach. Uh, What did you learn? Can you give me one thing you learned at that basketball camp? (sighs) I think I learned that I was like I was a soft serve ice cream guy. When they would serve snacks in the cafeteria, you either had your hard ice cream that somebody behind the counter would give you, or you could just go straight to the soft serve. And I would go to the soft serve. That was just easier. It was more convenient. It was better. So that's what I learned to see of Alfred Camp. I'm a soft serve ice cream type of guy. Looking at this write-up for the game, and apparently Bill Winnington and Steve Alford led Dallas on a second quarter surge that carried the Mavericks to a 118 to 107 victory. They lost their backup guard, Brad Davis, to a severely pulled hamstring muscle. And uh, so Steve Alford was going to get some more time in that in that series. So there are your Mavericks facts for this episode. I've learned I've learned a ton. Walker. It's this fun. Been- you you do learn some things that have like I it's it's it is fun to go learn in some of this stuff uh, from the Charlotte Hornets in the past and learn how the NBA operated back then. I got to learn about Tom Sorensen trying to get on the bird with George Shin. That's fun. I found this Randolph Keys highlight reel uh, from his time in <laughs> Cleveland. Oh, there's MJ. Oh, no, sir. Get oh, that here. was Randolph Keys rejecting a I'm Michael not with Jordan keys on the court. transition three-pointer and then going down at the other end and knocking down the jumper. I mean, wow. He could do it on both ends of the floor, people. Oh, nice little pass, a little interior pass, then getting open, creating some space, knocking down the mid-range jumper, Randolph Keys. Oh, All right. He's taking um, over. In this game, he had 20 points, five rebounds, three assists, and four steals versus the Bulls in 1989. Randolph you know what? Keys. Is he the most underrated Hornet of all time, Randolph Keys? Uh, I, well, you are the decider on that. We, okay. did te- we did tease that. Let's get off this NBA footage before Adam Silver comes knocking down my door. Get out of here, Adam Silver. All get right. Get out of here. <laughs> That's, what, what, a, what a thorough review of the box score on April 22nd, 1990. Hilarious. I think this was a perfect box score for the first of every single Hornets box score. I think we picked a, I think the machine, we didn't pick it, the machine, the bees machine picked this box score for us. And I think it was serendipitous because we got to go down some very weird nerd boy rabbit holes. But yes, um, two things to end the show. You've got your most underrated Hornet of all time, and I've got the uh, reveal fanfare ready to go. Uh, You're going to give us that. I am going to give you something that I would like to become a tradition on this show, the extremely classic pro basketball name of the week, the E-C-P-B-N-O-T-W, the extremely classic pro basketball name of the week. 
but you are the guest, so I will let you go first. Your most underrated Hornet of all time that is not Armin Gilliam. We have we have eliminated, I don't know how many total players have played for the Charlotte Hornets all time, but we mm-hmm. have eliminated one of them in Armin Gilliam. You know, so Armin Gilliam, first name that came to mind after looking at the box score because he did have a successful 13 months with the team at the same time, that 13-month total, gotta hurt you. Not necessarily gonna dish it out to others, and so eventually we pulled that award from him. Then I went to a teammate of his in Kelly Trapuca, I feel like the old heads give Kelly a lot of credit, though. Like, he was the first really good player that the team had. So I still think he gets probably a decent... I'm going to look this up as soon as you give me the name. So I just backspaced Kelly Trapuca's name. Okay. 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 Yeah, yeah. Not Kelly Trapuca. I think the guy is Johnny Newman, Doug. Whoa. I've got a a sports card of Mr. Newman. Yeah, Johnny Newman. I think... I saw during one of the games last year that Johnny Newman actually has multiple 40 game outputs for the Charlotte Hornets played like three, four years with the franchise. Kind of an ish Smith sort of deal here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oops. Nine, nine franchises. Ah, ah, ah. And then played for, I think the Hornets like four years, if I'm not mistaken, maybe three or four, but average double digits, you know, like was a go-to guy for them in a time where they kind of needed that. I think played a couple of different roles with that squad. I just, nobody talked. Yeah. Well, more than that, I think. Well, I think you, don't, you think he's you think he's too good for had a little stretch territory. If if Michael Williams is, then Johnny Newman is. That's what I would say. So yeah, give me Johnny Newman. Nobody talks about him. Like you know, if 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 we're talking about longevity, which is always the problem with putting guys in their place in the Hornets pantheon, you know, he's got some years on him. He averaged double digit points. He was pretty efficient. Yeah, give me Johnny Newman. I'm sure if I search through the Observer archives, I could pull you on a, a column or two about Johnny Newman. So if you cut you when you come back on the show, we'll do if we get one of these ninety one one of these Johnny Newman years, which is coming up ninety ninety one. So if if the bees machine is kind and gives us a Johnny Newman year, the next time we come back around in the early Hornets era, then I promise you we will uh, get pull some stuff on Johnny Newman. Yeah, um, great pull there. Oh, I didn't do the reveal fanfare. Can you say it again? Johnny Newman. Most underrated okay. Hornet of all time. Now, yeah, look at that efficiency, Doug. I mean, <laughs> nothing less than 47%. Go Johnny. I mean, Newman. for his position, that's probably pretty good. Um, I, I, I don't think cleaning the glass is going to have any stats on Johnny Newman. Unfortunately, we can go down to see. I'm sure I'm giving people. I need to have like one of those epilepsy warnings on this show. Me, you're giving this. me. You should have told me that. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to vomit. All right, here we go. <laughs> Similarity scores. Johnny Newman, similar to Jeff Green, Al Harrington, Matt Barnes, Juwan Howard, Antoine Carr, Sam Mitchell, Matt Big Bonner, dog. Big Dog Glenn Robinson, and yeah, Nick good Carlson. Names. Well, I would say these names are all names of players that, that we are – Really not going to talk about. I, agree. I mean, they they did some they did some dirty work, but we're not going to mention these names. All these names are appreciated by people who appreciate them, but that's it. Uh, I also went to Al Harrington basketball camp. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> 
basketball you know. camps galore, baby. If you went yeah, to Indiana, well, don't, played, hold on. Don't tell us anymore. We have to just no. randomly run into all of the names of the people. Al Harrington. Well, give me the one thing you learned at Al Harrington's basketball camp. Um, that everybody wanted Reggie Miller more than Al Harrington. It was one of the more disrespectful <laughs> things. The guy was coaching us, and Reggie, the guy was coaching us. Reggie, so, yeah, that's Reggie. what happened. Yeah, so we all get in the half court. Al Harrington is about to teach us some stuff about the game, and everybody's saying, is Reggie going to come? When is Reggie going to come to the camp? You promised Reggie's going to come hang out with us. Everybody wanted to see Reggie Miller. Nickname, Baby Al. His Twitter handle is CheddaCheese7. Those are your – those like are your, that handle. And he played for – Oh, see, they changed the jersey numbers up here. All right. Lots, so, yeah. Wizards, well, I think. Golden well, so, State. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven franchises. Ah, ah, ah. Okay. Uh, cousin is Dante Jones. I can't get Dookie. enough of these random facts. All right, mm-hmm. I've got to do my Extremely Classic Pro Basketball Name of the Week, and then we are going to wrap this show my extremely classic pro basketball name of the week. It comes to us courtesy of AinsworthSports.com's list of the best players of the 1910s. That's right, folks. The early 20th century presented us with the 415th best player of the 1910s, Leo Sturm. That's your extremely classic pro basketball name of the week. That's Walker Mail. He is uh, one half, and I am the other half of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Let's get us back in the. Let's get our beautiful faces back on the screen. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Walker Mail and uh, listen to our podcast. Obviously, I, I think you probably already are. It's it's on daily Monday through Friday, taking you all through the off season into uh, this upcoming regular season. Thank you so much, Walker, for spending some time. I know you're going to be back here a lot, though. Right, my wheelhouse. This is it. This is what I live for. And thank you for supporting this show on uh, Substack, everyhornetsboxscore.com. If you are a free member, consider joining as a paid member. Every dollar goes to helping to make more of this content. If you haven't subscribed at all, though, go ahead and sign up for free. This podcast, I promise you, will remain free. There's going to be some things that we put behind the paywall, but this podcast will not be one of them. All right, for Walker, I'm Doug saying go Hornets, go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.